the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Chewing Company and other factors. The following program is sponsored by Reaching Hearts Ministries. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxenteco's message today is entitled The Mark of the Beast. Now we'll need to bring this to you in two parts due to our time constraints, but join us tomorrow for the conclusion. Remember, our telephone number is 877-788-5371-877-788-5371. Feel free to call that telephone number at any time. If you would, stay with me for just a few seconds after the program ends today. I have some other very important information I'd like to pass along to you. Don't forget our phone number. It's 877-788-5371-877-788-5371. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, as we bow our heads here today, we're grateful that the Bible is a living book. We can't get smart enough to understand it fully, nor are we smart enough or wise enough to stand in judgment of it. Help us to plumb its depths, to understand its truths, and live them. We know in the end that the book of Revelation points to Jesus, our great advocate and high priest the only one who can protect us and hold us for the final destruction of the earth so that we can transition to a new world. And Father, there's a lot in this world that we cling to because it's the only world we've ever known. And yet we're children of the one to come. We want to live in that one. So help us today as we get into this topic to focus, to study, and to pray, and to get it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the third sermon in a series on the mark of the beast. We did the beast from the sea, correct? We did the lamb-like beast, and today it is the mark of the beast. My sermon this morning is more like a Bible study, so you need to have your Bibles in hand, and we're going to be moving through a lot of Scripture to get it. And I won't say any more than that. God bless you. The strongest warning in the Bible is given in Revelation 14.9. There is no stronger warning than this one. Revelation 14.9, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or his hand, he also shall drink of the wine of God's wrath poured unmixed into the cup of his anger. And he shall be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, those worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. This warning contains five clear components. Component number one, the mark is directly linked with the worship of the beast from the sea. It represents a surrender to the authority of the resurrected church-state system of the Middle Ages that takes the place of Jesus Christ in the world just before Jesus returns. And number two, the mark is received on the forehead and the hand. Number three, 
Component number three, the reception of the mark of the beast immediately precedes the coming of Jesus Christ. Very clear in the third angel's message. Those who receive the mark are pictured forsaking Jesus Christ and suffering in his presence at the second coming. Component number four, the worshipers of the beast have no rest in their lives. The Greek word for rest is anapausis. It literally means Sabbath rest. Somehow Sabbath rest is part of the struggle of the mark of the beast at the end. Component number five, those who refuse the mark of the beast have two characteristics in verse 12. First, they keep the commandments of God in direct contrast to the worshipers of the beast who violate them. And secondly, they have the faith of Jesus in their hearts. They are a Christ-centered, committed group of people that believes that obedience to the law is valid in the Christian walk. At the heart of the mark of the beast issue is the twin importance of the Ten Commandment Law of God and the place of Jesus Christ, which means the gospel in your life and heart. Obedience and faith are twin issues at the end that embody the worship crisis that will bring the world to an end. The stage is set for the mark of the beast in Revelation 11.19 and Revelation 12.17. Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation 11.19. The Bible says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, voices, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hell. The last battle, the entry from historical prophecy into eschatology, is the transition for it is this very verse. As soon as we have this verse, we are moving into the great controversy between Christ and Satan in Revelation 12, which provides the framework for the mark of the beast struggle, where the controversy comes to earth in the last days that began in heaven so many years ago. And the last battle is the battle for the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant. And so we see here it introduces the themes of which end time events are about. The testimony is a direct reference in the Old Testament to the law of God in Exodus 31:18. Moses came down from the mountain with the tables of the testimony. They were placed inside the ark of the testimony. According to the book of Revelation, Jesus stands before the ark of the testimony as our great high priest. In the book of Daniel, he stands before God's throne in a proxy judgment where sin started in the most holy place at the ark of the testimony where God's throne is at. That is where God will work in a very decided manner to bring end time events to a full head. Justice and mercy meet before the ark, and mercy wins because of Jesus and the cross. Now look at Revelation 12, 17. As soon as we have this concept of testimony introduced in Revelation 11, 19, we have in Revelation 12, 17, a group of people at the end who hold to the testimony. The Bible says the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the remnant of her seed, on those who keep the commandments of God And in the Greek it says, and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The only way Satan can attack the ark of the testimony in heaven is to go after a group of people on earth who hold to the testimony, who hold the testimony in the ark of their heart. The throne of their heart matches the throne of God. As Jesus said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is an ark of the testament in heaven, and there's a group of people on earth who hold to the testimony of Jesus The mark of the beast, in the mark of the beast issue, Satan declares war at the very end of time on the people that hold to this testimony. In Revelation 12, 17, this end time remnant is part of the woman that fled into the wilderness that remained faithful to Jesus at the end. 
The remnant in the context is the true Elijah that calls the universal Christian church back to Jesus Christ in the Mark of the Beast struggle. The remnant church, and there is a remnant church, the Bible's clear about this, it will coalesce as a people who will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb because they will keep the commandments of God and they will hold on to the testimony of Jesus. The Bible teaches very clear that there will be a small group of Christians at the end that are used in a very mighty way to bring God's people back to biblical truth. A small group of Christians that will not violate the charter of the universe, the constitution of the universe, and who hold to the apostolic gospel without contradiction. Again, faith and obedience are the twin issues at the end of time. I mean, this is not popular. In the Christian church today, people say, well, I'm not under law, you know. And I agree with them. We're not under law. I don't want to be under law. But that does not mean the law is done away with. You see, because we enjoy freedom as Christians, because Christ has taken care of our condemnation at the cross, does not nullify the constitution of the universe. Friend, it was the law of God that brought Jesus to this earth because the law of God is justice and mercy in perfect mix. The law of God is the name of God, the love of God that was poured out at Calvary's cross. When a Christian says, I believe in faith, but I don't want to have anything to do with the Ten Commandments, that person has no faith in Jesus Christ because Christ was faithful and obedient to his Father. So we're not under the condemnation of the law. Let's get that clear here. But the law of God has not been set aside as a moral standard, as the constitution of the universe. The Bible teaches very clearly that this is true. So in Revelation 12, 17, the dragon stands on the shore of the sea, representing the shores of America. The conflict over the gospel in the old world, the conflict over faith shifts from the old world to the new world. And in the context, the dragon is calling the beast from the sea back to life at the end of time. In Revelation 13, 5, the beast from the sea represents the church-state system of the Middle Ages that exercised religious authority for 42 prophetic months, which is 1,260 days or 1,260 literal years. In Revelation 13.5, the Bible says the beast blasphemes God's name. In Revelation 14.1, God's name goes on the forehead of true believers instead of the mark of the beast. Now, in the Bible, God's name and God's law are exactly the same thing. If I were to ask you, what is God's name? You know, you go to the Ten Commandments, you could read them, and you could say, that is God's name. And I'll demonstrate that to you. In 2 Samuel 6.2, the Bible says the Ark of the Covenant that contained the Ten Commandment law of God was called by the name of the Lord. And the name there, the Lord, L-O-R-D, all capital letters, is the covenant name of God. The covenant name of God is equal to the covenant, which is the Ten Commandments. So if you want to know what God's name is about, what it represents, it is the same thing as his law. He is his law. The Bible says that God put that name in Jesus from eternity. That who God is, God's name, is in the eternal Son of God. Jesus said he came to reveal the name of the Father. What does that mean? It means he came to reveal the law of God, the love of God, the character of God in the world in which we live. So God's law and God's name are an identity, and they represent an identical truth at the end of time. To attack the name of God is to make war on the law of God, the constitution of the universe. In Revelation 13:5, the beast attacks God's name, meaning attacks God's law for 42 months which is three and a half prophetic years. 
Christ came to reveal the name of the Father during his three-and-a-half-year ministry. Revelation 13, 5, and 6, these verses form an allusion to Daniel 7, 25. John is working off the imagery of the great prophet Daniel, speaking of the Antichrist that looks like a man but is not the Son of Man. Daniel wrote, He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall think to change times and law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, two times, and half a time. In Daniel 7.25, the Bible says, The saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, meaning two times, and a half a time, or a dividing of times. In Revelation 13.5, the beast exercised authority for 42 months. It just so happens that 42 months is three and a half years, a time, two times, and half a time. We find in the book of Revelation that this expression, 42 months and a time, times, and dividing of times, occurs in association as an identical expression to the phrase 1260 days. 42 times 30, 30 being an approximated lunar month, is 1260 days. In the Bible, 1260 prophetic days represent 1260 literal years. The 1260 years of the Antichrist persecuting phase in the Middle Ages represents the time when the church was under the control of the Antichrist beast from the sea when the Antichrist little horn power made war on the church of Jesus Christ. It started in the 6th century and it brings us down to the 18th to 19th centuries. Prophetic time. In the year 533, Justinian looked upon a world that was divided religiously and politically. Wouldn't it be nice if we all worshipped the same and we all just got along and we had big group hugs and we had utopia on earth? Would that be nice, yes or no? It would? Well, you know, people have been trying to create that for centuries. Justinian was such a figure. He wanted to unite the world, to end this barbarian invasion business and to bring Europe into a universal culture that would last a thousand years. So in the year 533, as he was emperor in Constantinople, he surveyed the world that he lived in, and he wanted to change it for good, to bring church and state together, to end the great divisions of the Christian faith. The Catholic part of Christianity ruled in the east, and the Aryan part of Christianity occupied the west where they enjoyed religious freedom. And the unity of the Roman Empire was broken by the barbarian invasions from the north, of the 3rd and 4th centuries, the sacking of Rome by the Vandals and others. And so the eternal city of Rome was no longer eternal. So how do you get it all back? In the year 533, Justinian, the emperor of the East, declared that the bishop of Rome is ruler of all the churches in the East and West. Now why did he do that? He did that because he knew the only glue that could hold the empire together was religion. If you get the same religion, you'd have the empire coming back together. So in the year 533... He made that famous ruling. Justinian intended that all of Christianity would come under the authority of the See of St. Peter and the church would be unified politically and the world would be unified as well. In 533, nothing happened because the Arian Ostrogoths ruled the city of Rome. To unite the West, Rome must be retaken. Now the Bible is very clear. The dragon gave to the beast his throne, meaning his capital. Rome was the city in play in prophetic events. In 537, the armies of Justinian under the great general Belisarius entered the city of Rome, a 5,000-man army. 
and 200,000 men of the Ostrogothic army surrounded Belisarius' 5,000-man army in the great siege of Rome. Plague reduced the Ostrogothic army to a pitiful state. Within the course of a year, that mighty army was struggling for life. And in March of 538, the siege of Rome ended. That 5,000-man army was able to run them out of the city of Rome. And the city was taken. It was given to the bishop of Rome. In that year, this prophetic year, the saints were handed over to the bishop of Rome exactly as Daniel had predicted. The little horn was in charge of the Christian church. Thomas Hodgkin, Italy and her invaders, writes, The calamitous defeat in 538 dug the grave of the Gothic monarchy in Italy. Daniel 7.25 says, And they shall be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and dividing of times. In the Middle Ages, there was a captivity of the Christian church that was analogous to the captivity in Babylon during Daniel's day. Friend, Jesus built his church during his three-and-a-half-year ministry. During the 42 months, the beast tears it down in a a three-and-a-half-year prophetic time span. Revelation 13.5 says it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Revelation 13.2 says, And to it the dragon gave his power, his throne, and great authority. His throne is the city of Rome, which was the seat of power, of satanic world dominion. It was handed over to this power in the year 538. The throne of Rome was surrendered to the bishop of Rome created a fusion of church and state in the West that would become the fabric of what history is called the Holy Roman Empire. The fusion became the Antichrist beast of the Middle Ages. So in 538 AD, the beast from the sea, the Antichrist beast is in full play, undoing what Jesus Christ set up in the early first century. So the state looked like it was Christian during this time period. It looked like the church was Christ. The leader of that system acted like he was Christ. But a state that persecuted Christians could never take the place of Jesus Christ. People looked to the church to save them. They looked to the sacraments to give them salvation. And they looked away from Jesus, their great high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. They looked to tradition instead of the Bible. And this system in the Middle Ages did more harm to God's word, more harm to the gospel. It is the great antagonist of God's truth in prophetic history. A state that looked like Christ can never take the place of Christ. Daniel 7.25, another event is linked with the beginning of the 1260 years. Daniel 7.25, he, the little horn, from that fourth beast shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High. He shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, two times, and half a time. Now the Bible teaches very clearly this little horn is Antichrist. How do we know that? Because there is a son of man in Daniel 7 who comes before the Ancient of Days, who is sitting on his throne, the Ark of the Testimony, who is loyal to God's law, who receives his kingdom from God in proximity to that law. And then there's a little horn with eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that looks like he's the son of man, but he's not the son of man. He looks like he's Christian, but he's a kingdom that is really not Christian. He is against the principles of the Christian faith. The Bible teaches that he is the Antichrist and he will think to change times and law. Friend, the only part of God's law that relates to sacred time is the seventh-day Sabbath of the fourth commandment. 
The Bible indicates that the Antichrist power of the Middle Ages would attack the Sabbath part of God's holy Ten Commandment law in the Middle Ages. In fact, Daniel 7.25 indicates that it would happen at the very time when God's people go into captivity. So we are to look to the year 538 A.D. as the year in which this attack occurs. Now, most Christians today have forgotten what God commanded us to remember. I mean, we can just follow the cultural stream. We can listen to radio evangelists and the like and not take our Bible seriously. And so most Christians today have failed to remember what God said can never be changed. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is the fourth commandment. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. The seventh day is a day that must be remembered because the God of the seventh day must never be forgotten. The saints were delivered into the beast's hands in the spring of 538 A.D., And the prophetic clock started ticking towards the spring of 1798, 1,260 years later. The edict that gave the beast authority took effect, as I said, in the year 530 A.D. The city of Rome was taken, as the book of Revelation said was necessary. The throne was handed over of Rome to the beast power. And the Antichrist thought to force a change of the fourth commandment of God's holy law in the year 538. At the Council of Orleans in 538... In the 28th canon of the church, with the authority of the state behind it, the church-state beast of the Middle Ages legislated Sunday observance in place of the seventh-day Sabbath, fulfilling Daniel 7.25. With stiff penalties for those who disobey, the 28th canon reads like this. It is a Jewish superstition that it is unlawful to ride or drive on Sunday, Latin the Lord's Day, or do anything for the decoration of house or person, But field laborers are forbidden so that people may be able to come to church and worship. If anyone acts otherwise, he is to be punished, not by the laity, but by the bishop. So the bishop had the authority of the state to enforce Sunday, and that's what was happening in the year 538. The Catholic Church has never forgotten the significance of the year 538 to change the Sabbath. In our church, people are saying, oh, 538, you know, it has no significance. Well, the theologians of the Roman Catholic Church know very clearly that the year 538 has great significance in the question of the Sabbath. In the Catholic record, September 1, 1923, the theologians in the Church of Rome describe the significance of this action in the year 538. I'm going to read to you this little excerpt. In the first centuries, the obligation of rest from work remained somewhat indefinite. The Council of Laodicea, held at the end of the fourth century, was content to prescribe that on the Lord's Day, meaning Sunday, the faithful were to abstain from work as far as possible. At the beginning of the 6th century, St. Caesarius and others showed an inclination very familiar to us to apply the law of the Jewish Sabbath to the Christian Sunday. But the Council of Orleans in 538, now that's the year the 1260 years starts, The Council of Orleans in 538 reprobated this tendency as Jewish and non-Christian. Thus, by the same divine authority in virtue of which she did away with the Jewish Sabbath and substituted therefore the Christian Sunday, the Catholic Church legislated as to how the Lord's Day should be observed. I mean, Daniel is right on time. The saints would be handed over to his hand in the year 538. And he would think to change times and law that occurred in the Council of Orleans in the year 538. 
Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, the great theologian of Rome, understood the issue well. In the new law, the keeping of Sunday, he wrote, supplants that of the Sabbath, not in virtue of the precept of the law, but through determination by the church and the custom of the Christian people. What he's saying is this. The Ten Commandment law stands here as authority, but it is no longer authority. The real authority is the tradition of the church and it is the authority of the church. And so through church authority and tradition, he created a medieval theology to validate the dismissal of the authority of the Ten Commandment law of God. Thanks for listening today. There you have it, today's broadcast entitled The Mark of the Beast. That was the first portion of this message. Don't forget our phone number if you have any questions about this broadcast or this ministry. It's 877-788-5371. 877-788-5371. If this broadcast has ministered to you, would you consider a financial contribution? The address here is Reaching Hearts International, 15300 Spencerville Court, Suite 201, Burtonsville, Maryland, 20866. Once again, Reaching Hearts International, 15300 Spencerville Court, Suite 201, Burtonsville, Maryland, 20866. And if you're in the Washington, D.C. area, please stop by the worship service. You can find directions online at reachingyourheart.com. Or feel free to call us at any time. Once again, that telephone number, 877-788-5371. 877-788-5371. And don't forget, you can listen to any of these messages again in their entirety under the broadcast schedule there on the main page of reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening. And as always, we want you to know that we pray that God is reaching your heart. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.